All right. So let me introduce myself first. I'm here. I've known Mark for a long time. I work with Todd all the time. I've learned so much from Todd in the last two years. He seems nicer than he really is. Trust me, he's, he's a deal savage guy. So he asked me to come out tonight, sends me a lot of business, refers me a lot of business. That's how I treat my friends. So first legal disclaimer, don't be a baby. This is a big boy, big girl business. Please consult attorneys, lawyers, everybody else. Don't sue me. All right. Let me introduce myself real quick. Let me, I forgot. So I got disclaimers. There you go. Real estate by its very nature can be risky. You win sometimes, you lose sometimes. We can't guarantee a profit or a loss. I'll talk about uh, We do not provide legal counsel. Same thing that Jeremy said. My disclaimer number two, everything I'm telling tonight is a lie. If you like it, try it on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not willing to go that far, but I like, I like the spirit of the attitude, right? <laughs> so first, 38, I've lived all over the world. I was born in Coos Bay, Oregon, spent my first five years there. My dad joined the United States Navy, moved to Pensacola, Florida. Spent two and a half years there, then moved to a little tiny island, Guam. Spent three years there, then moved to Boise, Idaho for two and a half years. London, England for three years. Gaeta, Italy, Italy for one year. London for another year. Back to Rome, Italy. Then to Tacoma, Washington. Spent two years there. Then I joined the United States Navy. Went to Great Mistakes or Great Lakes, Illinois, depending on how you look at it. Uh, ended up in Charleston, South Carolina for a few years in San Diego, California, where I did my service with subs, fast attack, United States Navy. Got out, did a bunch of day labor stuff, moved up to Pullman, Washington, met and married my wife, and then uh, moved on from there. So I started in 2005. I was still working as a baker at Safeway frying donuts. Anybody ever a job like that? It's actually pretty badass. You don't have to talk to anybody. You know, you show up 3 o'clock in the morning, start frying donuts. I've done all sorts of shit jobs. So let's see what I've done. Day labor work, uh, convenience store work, 7-Eleven graveyard shift in gangland territory in Chula Vista. I uh, got the ride on the back of a garbage truck, dishwasher in a restaurant, short order cook, line cook, Baker, I think that about covers most of it. Apartment cleaner, there you go. So after I met my wife, you realize that $12.76 an hour just ain't going to get the job done. So it's really the first time after I got out of the Navy that I thought about what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. And my best friend, Jason, came back from Iraq. And fortunately, it was very boring for him. So he ended up reading a lot of books. He's like, we got to do this real estate thing. So in 2005, we... Uh, very stupidly parted with our money for one of those national gurus. Went up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and the rest is history. I got bit with the bug. Since then, I did a couple trailer deals and uh, one assignment deal, which is actually more like a listing, and I suck so bad at it. It took me nine months to sell it for three grand profit, which, by the way, wasn't even profit because I wasn't tracking my expenses. I lost two grand selling my friend's house. But I got a world-class education in the meantime. I didn't even know how to do an assignment at the time. I barely got it done. So if you're talking about rough starts, trust me, they're all rough. That's how it all begins. Then we started investing in Detroit from far away. We did uh, 13 rentals, fix and flips from Pullman, Washington. Decided to move to Detroit 2007, May. I don't understand why you guys don't like this place. I fucking love it. It's amazing. You're in one of the best markets ever. A postage stamp in Seattle is half a million dollars. 
do that deal, right? Do you know how many people take houses for appreciation with negative cash flow in the Seattle area? You're in the right area. So if you're bemoaning your luck, you're already lucky. You were born lucky or you moved here lucky. You're in a great place. Since then, we did 200 plus fix and flips, fix and rents, fix and land contracts, about 150 wholesale deals, a couple small bank note packages back in the day when such a thing was possible. And now I do wholesale deals of my own and also listings uh, for those looking for top dollar. I survived the Gladiator School of Real Estate, which is Detroit. Lost everything twice, painfully. I'm still making payments to people. So if you want to realize how bad you can screw up, I probably did it worse. I don't know. Mark might have me beat, but it's close. It's close. You're going to get beat up. And Gina and I founded Renegade Detroit Investors uh, 2008. It actually started in 2007 as Windy City Roundtable Detroit, which is a shitty name. So we took it over, rebranded it to Renegade Detroit Investors. Way better. I have a blog and a podcast. Tonight, I narrowed it down. We're going to do an hour, so if somebody could time me, so I make sure I have at least 30 minutes for questions. I'm going to talk fast. Um, much of what I cover, yeah, an hour from now, much of what I cover, I have a six and a half hour. If you like podcasts, you can get on. I go in intimate detail about it. You can go listen to it. There's plenty of people who've just listened to it, never talked to me, gone out and done a deal. It is intensive. It's angry. It's fast. There's even a little book with it. It's all there. So I'm going to do something a little different. If you want to check that out, renegadedetroit.com, 313-600-2133. Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. Any app has it. So let's get right to it. First, start where you are. Okay? Start where you are. I don't know where that is for you. For me, it was a donut fryer in Pullman, Washington, who didn't know shit about real estate. We all start somewhere, right? So decide to do it. Period. And if you don't want to, nothing wrong with it. Move on. I don't understand this. I'm going to dip my toes in it. I'm going to try it shit. This is not that kind of game. This is an all-in kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying quit your job or do anything stupid like that. But if you find yourself watching more than one episode of any TV or movie a week, you're wasting your damn time. If you find yourself playing on your phone, you're wasting your damn time. You're hanging out with a bunch of losers. You, everyone go, you're wasting your time. You have so much more time than you think you have and so many more resources and so much more you're capable of than you think you can actually do. But it all starts with deciding first and then taking that step. And what I find helps is starting with the why. Why do I bring this up? Because for 11 years, I've been running a meeting where nobody hardly does anything. They come in, they tell me how excited they are, they tell me they're a wholesaler. I see them a couple times and they disappear and they go back to whatever hole they crawled out of. Nothing wrong with that if you don't want to do it, but that's not how you get a start into something. You got to bring the energy, you got to wake up in the morning. You got to get after it, especially if you never went to college, you don't know anything about real estate, all you did was fry donuts and other things like that, or work on mechanical things, didn't exactly transfer over. So whether you're starting or not, assess that, all right? I want you to see the gold, the dragon hoards. Don't focus on the dragon. Talking to metaphors here, right? The hobbit, the dragon, smog, 
You see that thing, you're like, fuck that, I'm out of here, and you bail, right? That huge pile of gold is underneath the dragon. Metaphor for fear, right? And I don't want you to be scared. Don't worry about how scared you are. Work on being braver. And bravery comes from competence, which comes from moving forward. I don't care how small. I remember at one point, one of my goals was to brush my teeth. I'd fallen so low. So I don't want to hear how your sad story about how bad it is. I was, when was the last time I brushed my teeth? I honestly don't remember. Okay, today I'm brushing my teeth. It could be that low. So that's why I say start. Um, also, and this is, I got to try and take my own advice. Don't be a tyrant. How you get yourself to do something isn't to bemean yourself. I don't know what your parents told you, your friends or family or anything like that. You need to negotiate with yourself. You're not a slave to you doing things. Maybe you can't pick up the phone call. I've seen how many times I've done the boiler room. I see somebody go to pick up the phone. They can't do more than one call. They're so terrified. They're so uncertain. That's fine. Maybe I can dial another number. Maybe I could take a five-minute break and come back and try again. Negotiate with yourself, and the greater the fear... I don't want you cutting yourself slack, but I want you negotiating with yourself. What can I do to get me to do that? What am I capable of? Maybe I'll just show up. Maybe I'll return the phone call. How many people got calls they didn't return? I did. You're, not, you're lying to me. I know more hands raise up, right? Because you were scared to make the call, especially in the beginning. There's so much of that. Just remember that fear is an illusion, and that pile of gold is real. And you can do it if you decide to do it, and you want to do it. Don't pretend to be someone you aren't. Don't pretend to know things you don't. Everybody starts somewhere. I get so much of this fake it to the make it, hashtag Burgess Empire, whatever, right? Like, no, stop. You're not, you haven't done shit yet, right? Just, there's nothing wrong with the beginning. There's nothing wrong with the start. I don't know. Let me call and find out. I still sometimes get a question I don't know the answer to. It's going to happen until the day I die. You know, I'm not sure. Let me find out for you. I don't know. Let me call Todd. Let me call Mark. Let me find somebody who does know, right? Don't pretend to know it. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. Good example. I do five to ten wholesale deals a month. No, you don't. Maybe your partner does. I work with Todd, and he does five to ten wholesale deals a month. Bam! Now you're telling the truth. You're not pretending to know what you don't. You're not pretending to be who you aren't. And you're giving them a level of confidence. That's just one quick example. Have some humility where you start. That'll get you a lot farther than this false confidence and arrogance that you can just fake it or whatever. And then you won't have that nagging feeling at night that people are going to find out tomorrow that you're a fraud. or they're Because I figured it out. I know the people talking to me. If you do this... You can figure it out in 30 seconds or less talking to somebody what they know and what they don't. So you're, you're only fooling other fools. You're not fooling the people who actually do it. And it's very easy to get on that list of, oh, they're just pretending to know things they don't know. Most of the time, that person doesn't work out. You don't want to be on that list. Come back from that list, that's a great story, okay? Ditch the losers in your life, all right? Who's keeping you down? First, let's start with you. How often do you tell yourself you can't do something? 
or I'm not smart enough, or I can't figure it out, or it's too hard, or life's too hard, or maybe it's your family. You're always a loser. You're always going to be a loser. We've always been middle class. You're always going to be mid- You see where I'm going with this, right? So don't get rid of them immediately, but notice this stuff. This is a difficult business. Any new venture is difficult, but this one requires a lot. Wholesaling is the one aspect of business you need to know the most about to be the most successful in real estate. All right, I'm going to cover that later. Know yourself. What are you good at? What are you not good at? What do you think you might be good at? Right? I'll give you a hint. I suck at paperwork. I suck at following up with emails. I'm bad with text. I don't know when my closings are. I don't like coordinating with title companies. I hate chasing buyers. Did you do X, Y? I'm terrible at all these things. I got my wife, Gina, and I joined a real estate team where I have a Carolyn. And Carolyn's me, but good at paperwork and good at tracking and keeping everybody on the same page. That's one example. In the beginning, you might have to do everything yourself. You're going to suck at some stuff. In fact, you're probably going to suck at most of it. That's the fact. What are you good at? Lean into it. And then how can you buttress, make up that gap and whatever your personality is, right? So I want you to be really honest about yourself and pay attention. You're starting something new, you're going to suck for a while. Give yourself plenty of time. I would say a minimum of six months, probably more like a year. But you're going to know some things you're already good at. You're going to know some things you're already bad at, okay? If you're starting this venture, you're very likely to start telling everybody in life what you're doing, which I think you should. But tell me if you're in this situation, right? And you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want you to call out. But imagine that coworker who half-asses his job, shows up late, doesn't try that hard, maybe doesn't go the extra mile. By the way, I've got this new thing I'm getting into, wholesaling. I'm going to make lots of money. I'm going to help lots of people out. Do you know anybody looking to buy or sell? What do you think they think of you? you think everybody else doesn't know that's the person you are? So when I say start where you're at and be honest with yourself, if you're that person now, your first step is I'm going to change my attitude about my work. I don't care how bad your boss is or how shitty your job is. Get better at your job. Change people's mind, change your mind about what you're capable of and then change their mind. Start there, okay? Especially if you're the whiny worker, I didn't get my 15-minute break today. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to call the union. Yeah, they're going to remember that shit. They're absolutely going to remember. Nobody will lend me money. I don't know why. Maybe you're the kind of person who started 12 things and never finished it. I've started many things I haven't finished. I think we're all guilty of that, right? So you might need to start by changing your mind and then changing everybody else's mind as you work on this venture. I want to throw that out because I see that happen all the time. And I know how hard it is to do good work and a bad job for a difficult boss. We've all had them. Start there. It's going to happen more in life. Don't whine or be a sore loser, okay? Especially ever, but especially in the beginning, okay? Do what is necessary to achieve your goals. So I fail 96.5% of the time. The people who fail 96% of the time are the top earners. 
That means the best people in business, period, fail 96% of the time. I'm sure there's some guy, a gal out there who does it 95 and they're just a killer. But those are the stats, right? So if I'm only closing 3.5% of everybody I talk to, odds are you're not going to do much better in the beginning. Keep that in mind. It's not you. It's not personal. It's the game. You're going to get that feeling like, oh, man, I've talked to 50 sellers. I haven't got a deal. Eric and I just went through it. You do all the right things. You talk to all the right people. The deal's not there. It's not right. It sucks. You don't, and you feel that need, well, I'm going to go do this half deal. I'm going to try and squeeze this. We all do it sometimes. Sometimes I shoot for the moon, too. If I take a risk, I make it a calculated risk, but you screw it up. That happens. Just know it's not personal, all right? No work is beneath you. I find that one a lot, especially if you're coming for some cushy, white-collar, middle job, used to serve, ma'am, or for some sort of union. I don't do that. That's not in my job description. Guess what you get paid for? Anybody got a guess? Closing. That's it. You don't get paid for anything else. Nothing else counts. All right? No work is beneath you. Um... You're not special, all right? So this, uh, oh, woe is me, victimhood attitude, I can't do it, it's too hard, so-and-so is out to get me, I just lost on a deal, I think he overpaid, but uh, they're big wholesalers, I pitched, I lost, they won, move on. We'll see if they sell it, right? Um, And as I get into this, Most people are most successful if they kind of do an apprenticeship thing. So I got started in wholesaling. I narrowed it down who I wanted to work with, picked out one guy, Steve Lundo, and I pitched working for him. And how I did it was I went and he had deals he was trying to get rid of, and I went and found a buyer, and I negotiated my profit. When it came time for the profit, I cut it in half. I said, you can have more. Actually, what I'd like to do is work and learn. Could I work something like that out? So I spent two years working for him, right? In that two years, I did 70 wholesale deals. Steve taught me so much seller calls, especially Steve's still the best closer I've ever seen in person. I close half of them when I go out. When Steve goes out, he closes three quarters of them. Let me tell you, that's a huge number. So you might want to consider working for somebody first. Now, there's always that person in here who can do it all on their own. You know if you're that person or not. So I don't know. You know you. But most people work better, so you might want to consider something like that. And then speaking of partners, don't go get a partner who knows as little as you. Because it feels better to go through life with a friend. Get somebody who knows what they're doing. Right? Maybe you have to pay the person. Maybe you have to split profit. Maybe you have to do some shit work, right? Don't overestimate your value. You know how many people tell me they want to come do these things for me and never do? One of the few people sitting back there who actually did. That's the person I spend time with, right? Just take a time, think about it. Think about what your value. Think about how little you know and how little we need you. Make that value proposition. Eric made himself so valuable to me. I didn't even want to do it anymore. He's just like, I got a deal. 
help me. I'm like, well, shit. Okay. I'll split it with you 50-50. He made it real easy for me. Like, I already, I already got the date. Can you show up with me? I literally just showed up and closed him. I was like, I got to work with this guy. That's value. Or I had one guy come and clean up all the dog poop out of my yard. This is back when we were neck deep in dog rescue, 26 dogs, where when the winter comes and you know anything about dogs and they poop, it goes right through the snow and you can't pick it up until spring. And then you got two whole garbage cans full. He came and did that. He helped me with my garden. He made himself valuable to me in a way that I needed. So don't just start offering things. Ask what you need. Do a little research. Make yourself as valuable as possible and distinguish yourself from the, I'm going to help you out and disappear, people. Right? Or that's too much work. Or I'm more valuable than that. Or I would never take that little money. Yeah, you will. All right. What or who do you need to know to wholesale? So first, you need to know that how to determine the after-repair value of the home. All right? This is the bare minimum you need to know. You need to be able to figure out the as-is value of the home, which means you need to be able to develop some way of determining rehab costs. All right? Understand return on investment for landlords. So when you're looking at a property, there's a couple different ways you look at it. Is there a high-end flip market? Yes or no? Pull the comps. Nice little thing. All the comps you select, there's a little feature on real comps that says export. And it exports it into a spreadsheet for you. I add another column all the way on the right. Price per square foot sold. Take that sold number, divide it by the square footage. Now you got a price per square foot. Now you've got this sheet in front of you. Go back to the comps, hit the back button, start at the top, click on it, look through the pictures. On your spreadsheet, is this a bungalow? Is this a ranch? Is it brick? Is it colonial? Is it top of the market? Is it a dump? Go through each one, especially in the beginning. Sometimes it takes me 30 minutes to do a single property even now, depending on how difficult it is to do. With practice, I can get through most of them in 10 minutes really detailed within a percent or two, just like that. When you break it down to a price per square foot, you're being more exacting, and you'll also see value opportunities, and it takes a lot of that emotion right out of it. It really does. Break it down that way. What about the as-is value? Sometimes, most of the time when you're looking, you're going to see it falls, at least if there's a lot of activity, into kind of like a layer. You're going to see the stuff that's real nice at the top. You're going to see some stuff in the middle, which goes from kind of middle nice down to maybe not so middle nice, but generally an appraisable value. And then you're going to see some of the not so nice stuff at the bottom of the market. Most of the time, Detroit, some areas excluded, but you'll look and you'll see this, right? So now you're seeing value. Oh, this one's similar to mine and it sold for X. And that's this much price per square foot. How many square feet do I have? Boom, you got a number. Ah, this is what it's selling for. I'm going to use a recent example. $97.7 per square foot. Okay, what did I get? I got $145 for it. There's the top of the market. Here's all these other opportunities. Let me go look at them and start taking rehab costs out of them. And then how much I want to make, right? You need access to the MLS to do this, which means either you got to become an agent 
You've got to make an agent friend. No, don't ask. And get added on as an aide. You need access to this and this market. There was a day and a time where you can... There's a lot of wiggle room with Zillow. Not so much anymore. You really... You got intense competition. When I show up at a property and you talk to them, first, I'm not leaving without a contract or they tell me to fuck off. Two, my numbers are tight. You're going in guessing, throwing in reserve right that. I know the square foot. I know what they told me. I know my rehab numbers. I can walk it in 10 minutes and know how close they were to telling the truth. Make my adjustment right there. Make the offer. Do likewise. That makes you difficult to defeat. You go in with that much knowledge. In the beginning, you're going in a little cold. You're doing the best you can. Still, take a look. If you have time and you're uncertain, drive the comp. Show up 30 minutes early to the appointment. Man, I'm not so sure about these numbers. Drive them. Oh, that does look similar to my house. Oh, that one does have a nice yard. Now I understand better why it's sold for more. Or this one looks great from the outside. Things start to make sense when you do that, all right? Then you got to run it kind of as a landlord. This is especially in Detroit market, other markets as well, parts of Redford, uh, Madison Heights. Doesn't matter. You understand what a rental market is, right? Look for some sort of rental value. Most of the time, if it's above 10%, somebody might take a bite if it's in a nice neighborhood. If it's in Detroit, might be more like 15 to 18%. Start thinking like a landlord, crunch their numbers, see how much they make. Now you can sell to a landlord and you understand the value of the property. There are times you're going to pull comps and all you're going to see are cash sales, or the vast majority of what you see are cash sales. That's a good indication that this is mostly a rental market. So instead of running a traditional ARV as is value, you look and see what they sold for so you know how to price, but work it backwards. What do I think it'll rent for? Okay, how much work does it need? How much can I sell it for? Now I can work out a basic return on investment. Right? What is return on investment? This is basic. Right? It's going to be your net income divided by your purchase, rehab, and acquisition costs. Right? Make sure to take out maintenance. I do 10% maintenance, 10% vacancy, 10% property management. Pitch it conservative. I know a bunch of old school people do their own property management. Pitch it that way. So they go, oh yeah, I'd make more than that. You get, then you get a number that's attractive to investors. That's what you pitch instead of flipping on the ARV. There are a ton of landlords. And I've half, over half my deals have been landlord deals, either with tenants or I sold them to people who put tenants in there. How I did that was think like a landlord. What are they concerned about? How do they run their numbers? What kind of return are they looking to get? Look at it that way. Spreadsheets are your friend. I have a template. I just punch it in. Just takes it right out. Gives me a quick number. Oh, okay. This, sometimes you get an opportunity where it could be a rental or a flip. I got one in Dearborn Heights like that. Be a good rental, be a good flip. But this is how you figure out. I do this on every single property. Unless, of course, it's like Royal Oak or something where I know if it's above 250, landlords aren't going to touch it. But you get my point. You might miss value if you don't look at it that way. And if you haven't noticed, the market's hot, competition is high. Grab those inches everywhere you can. You need the ability to close someone. This is a skill. 
It's a learned skill. Very few people are born with it. So it's like learning how to fix an engine. Everybody can do it, but you got to start by taking it apart. What am I talking about? Get them to make a decision. If you think you can get them to say yes, you're lying to yourself. You can't get anybody to say anything. Get rid of all that crap that you think you know about. I'm going to persuade them and get them to say yes three times. Now they're going to say yes again. That's not how you sell. That's all horseshit. What you need to make them do is make a decision. Oh, I need to think about it. Well, what's to think about? Well, right here, right in front of you right now. Got a cash offer. Why don't we just do this right now? I was hoping to get more money. Well, I was hoping to pay less, but I think this is fair. Why don't we do this right now? I need to talk to my wife. I don't mind stepping out when you give her a call. How long do you think you need? You have to make people make decisions. Now, they might not make the decision you want, but if you let them just keep kicking it down the road, your best shot at getting that deal is right there, right then, right in front of them. One in 10 sign after I leave. 50% sign when I'm there. The second you leave that property, you're in the one in 10 category. Get, learn the ability to close. This sometimes means asking difficult questions. I'm not saying be angry. I'm not saying yell. I'm not saying tell them they're stupid for passing up on the deal. I like the carrot and the stick approach. One of the things I do on the phone call is I find out why they're selling. And I dig. It's usually not the first number. What is the carrot? Sometimes I just want to be done. You know, I never have to worry about it. I never have to hear about it from my spouse again. Uh, I could quit losing money. I need it for another project. I want to take my wife on a cruise in Florida. I need to think about it. Well, what's to think about? Just imagine if you sign this right now, you're 30 days away from going down to Florida. Wouldn't that be great? And if you wait longer anyway, it's end up costing you more. You have back taxes and everything else. Why don't we just do this right now? Get them to make a decision. Dangle a little carrot. Show them a little stick. Not your stick, but their problem. Well, yeah, I suppose you could rent it out again. I mean, you probably won't have an eviction right away, but you know it's going to happen again. Stick, right? Or it's Detroit's coming and flagging houses for lead-based paint, right? How do you like them apples? Oh, the inspector and all that. Wouldn't it be nice to never have to worry about that again? Or wouldn't it be great if you can buy an East Point with your profits so you don't have to deal with that again? Carrot, stick, get them to make a decision. Showing up is just half the battle. Work on that. Just get rid of the idea that you think you can say some words like a spell and they'll do what you want them to do. Wrong approach. Think about it more like consultation. I got a... Are you sure this is what you wanted? Because you told me on the phone you wanted to get rid of it, and I'm here right now. What's the problem? Is it me, the purchase price? Is it the time? Lots of ways to get them to make a decision. All right? You need that ability. One of the reasons, and how I learned it, is for the first six months, I went on every appointment Steve went on. And I just watched him the whole time, learning all his tricks, all his closes, how he gets through objections, how he gets somebody from angry to happy, how he gets them to sign. One of the best ones I learned, if you got a tough one, well, my neighbor across the street offered me more. Well, Will, let me ask you this. Who do you think is more likely to close, me or your neighbor? Yeah, sign right here. He did. Get him to make a decision. 
Part of what got them there is indecision or bad decisions. Part of your job is getting them to make a decision. Get rid of the idea that you can make, get them to make the decision you want. You need a title company that does and understands assignments. This is not difficult. Minnesota title, first centennial title, Detroit. Um, uh, let's see, Michigan investment title. There's a lot of them. Make sure you call and have a conversation. Don't pretend to know things you don't. Hey, I got a referral. I haven't done an assignment yet, but Todd said you do them. What do I need to do when I get one? There you go. You're in the door. They want your business, right? Pretend to be someone you're not. They'll probably hang up. They want your business. Nail that sucker down. And you need cash buyers. In this market, just getting a good deal will probably get you cash buyers. But you can't always count on the fact that you're going to have cash buyers, right? So what do I see most people do? They go and spam groups on Facebook or post a bunch of shit on Craigslist, afraid to call anybody, talk to anybody, or do any real work, right? Networking, real life, and online. If you meet them online, push them to real life. Meet them in real life, push them online. That's how you do it. Get an email list. When you go to these meetings, don't just say, can I get your card? Where do you buy? So when I get a deal in this neighborhood, I know. Put them in a database. Get a CRM. This is your business. Wouldn't it be great to sell a property on a phone call? You can do that. Wouldn't it be great to have an email list? You can do that. Best way to do that, network in real life, network online. Make sure if it's online, push it to real life and vice versa, right? When Gene and I first moved to Detroit in 2007, we signed a year-long membership with every real estate group at the time. And we went for two years. We met everybody. Remember how I say you're already in the right place? 4.4 million people, at least a dozen real estate meetings. You tell me you want to do it and you're watching Game of Thrones, I don't fucking believe you, okay? (laughs) Get out there. Stay up late one night, right? Remember that negotiating with yourself? What if you're terrified? This happens all the time at Renegade Detroit Investors. They go to get up on the mic. They're shaking. They can't even hardly get the words out of their mouth. That's great because the next time is going to be easier. So maybe the first meeting you go to, you have a goal to speak to one person, right? And maybe you can't even do that, but maybe you'll just walk up to them. Bargain with yourself. I know how scary it could be. This isn't how I was 13 years ago. I was terrible. We all are when we start, right? These networking meetings are huge. Almost all my business comes from networking meetings like this and showing my work online. Almost all of it. So, do likewise. And let's move on to my favorite topic. Do your job. How do you like them apples, right? You know how many shitty emails or texts I get? I got a property in Detroit. You interested? What do you think you're getting paid to do? Let me give you a hint, all right? Your job is to get the property under contract and present as much due diligence as possible. I am far more likely to work with you if you're professional than if I get some hodgepodge whatever. And what do I mean by that? 
Include the address always. I can't even begin without an address. I don't want to hear the cross streets. That doesn't tell me the square footage of the house. That doesn't show me what the house looks like from the end. How can I value a property? Is this a phantom property? I can give you a range. How helpful is that? About as helpful as your call or your email, right? Not very helpful. If you got the deal locked up, you should always share the address. And if the deal's not locked up, you don't have a deal to share. Don't call anybody unless you have a question about how to get it. I've got a property I might be getting in two days. Call me back when you have it. Because you don't have it. Until you have it, nobody cares, right? Include the price. Dear God, include the price. Do you want to be a used car salesman? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Uh, come down and take a look at it and I'll tell you. Or PM me for more information. No, I'm not going to. This is your job. I'm here to buy. Be like walking in a grocery store. How much is the Kellogg's worth? I don't know how much you're willing to pay. Man, tell me a price. I'm trying to spend money. We might haggle, but it starts with your price. Your asking price, right? Stop playing hard to get. It's kind of like a teenage girl game, right? PM me if you're interested. Huh? Or my favorite, posting a deal you don't have with no address. Hey, hit me up on my buyer's list. No, I'll get on your buyer's list when I see you have a property, right? Don't do all that. Metro Detroit group, you'll get deleted. You'll get warned a couple times, then you'll be gone. Or worse yet, everybody else sees you acting like an ass clown, right? I know many gurus teach this, so I'm not saying it's you. You got bad information. Kick that, reject it, kick it out, put the new information in. Old car salesman tricks don't work unless you're a mouse, you want to go around bullying people who can't stand up for themselves, by all means, go ahead. But I don't think that makes you a very good person, okay? I certainly won't want to do business with you anyway. Pictures. Yes, you need more than 12 pictures. Yes, you need something better than your iPhone. If the iPhone is all you have, go with it. That's a temporary stopgap measure. You need something like 80 to 120 pictures and I've taken 250 before. All sides of the house. Everything wrong with it. Everything right with it. The idea is that you send this link to an investor. They click through the pictures. They say yes. You show them the property. It should accurately represent the property. There's nothing hidden that they weren't aware of. In theory... You should be able to do a deal immediately right then and there. You could also build up a reputation where you have so many pictures and you disclose so much, people trust you, lock it up, and then go take a look at it. I typically only do that with the people I really like. Most of the time I make you look at it first, just so I go, well, I didn't know about X, Y, and Z. Actually, look at picture number 92. Maybe you should look at the pictures, which is why I take 120 of them, right? Take good pictures when you can. Get a digital camera with a wide-angle lens. This really makes a difference. You really want that wide. You want to capture as much of each room as possible. I want my buyer's experience to be as close to walking that house as possible by pictures. That's extremely valuable. You're saying, I respect your time. I expect you to respect mine. 
It also covers your butt on negotiation when they try and talk you down because I didn't know about X, Y, and Z. And by the way, it's right in picture number what? So I'm confused. No, is the answer because you were aware of it before. Maybe next time you should pay closer attention to the photos. All sorts of tricky negotiation tactics people try that you can cover by disclosing everything in pictures, good and bad. Not just the bad. They'll go through taking pictures of all the shitty stuff. Take pictures of all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. So it's all disclosed, all right? And that's going to be, depending on the size of the house and how messed up it is, on average, 80 to 120. And if the house is real jacked up, don't worry about it. More pictures, better. Wide-angle camera lens. Get something with a strong flash, too. I ended up going with a Sony, but there's lots of other ones. Make sure that flash goes fast, too, because I think I bought a Panasonic first. I ended up returning. So it took me like three seconds to take any, every picture. I ain't got time for that. I need a pa, 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 moving on to the next room. Time. I was doing an appointment, an hour. So the faster I get through the appointment, the more deals I can get, right? Include if it's an assignment. Let people know up front. Going to be selling this property by via assignment of contract. If you negotiated that you're paying the closing cost for the buyer, let the, or for the seller, let the buyer know it pays closing costs. Is it a warranty deed or a quick claim deed? You know how many people try and sell me their tax auction properties like it's a warranty deed? You screwed up. Call Todd. He'll gut you and you'll learn next time, right? Ideally, in one email and one post, include your contact information, how you want to contact. If you're asking for a deposit to lock it up, tell them how to do business with you professionally. Tell them how to do business with you. When you make a post like that or you send an email like that, even if they're not interested in the property, I can tell you, you go up on my list. I'm like, oh, this doesn't work for me, but I'm... I'm going to call this person. I'm going to start to develop a relationship with this person so maybe I get the call next time before the email goes out. Because that kind of professionalism is rare. And when it's out there, people recognize it. You can be very green and be very professional and rise very quickly in the eyes of many people. It's just that simple. The bar is low. It doesn't take that much to get up to here. All right? All right, I'm going to move on to the next section. Finding value in niche markets or properties, okay? It's tough out there, right? Highly competitive. Just to give you an idea, 2016, I did 38 wholesale deals. 2017, I did 12. I wasn't trying less. I did increase my profit margin because I hate driving around and I had enough money. I didn't have to chase five grand every time. It is a competitive market, so I have found some ways. These are just a few ways where you can find some inches in some places, right? Probably the one that people are most common with, but I'm going to start with it, is what we call a wholetail. You can find wholetail deals. And what is a wholetail deal? Let's start with a, what is a wholetail deal, right? It's a property in financeable condition, meaning it would pass at least a conventional mortgage, preferably even an FHA right? VA if you want to torture yourself, but at least conventional, preferably FHA as well. How will you recognize this property? Usually it's in that medium range we were talking about before on the comparables and you're looking at the comps. You'll see 121 
bucks per square foot, 118, 116, 117. Then you see 85, 84, 87, but still financeable. What do I mean by financeable? No peeling paint, furnace and all that stuff's there. Everything works. There's no foundation problems or anything like that. Who buys these properties? Usually, it's someone who wants to move into a neighborhood, but either doesn't want to pay or can't afford to pay the 121. But they can squeeze in at this 87. And, by the way, they're already finance, they already have a pre-approval for that. There's a whole market like this. I did a few of them last year. I'd like to do a lot more. I missed some that I wasn't looking at the right way. Hate it when I do that. Get working a little fast. Screwed up a few that way. I'm like, man, we should have done X, Y, Z with that. I didn't see that. I was working too fast. Where are you most likely to find these deals? Where there's lots of activity. When you pull a quarter mile on your comparables, and I always start big first, then go down, right? So I start a quarter mile, and I include everything. Active, pending, and sold. Hit the export. Pull it up on the spreadsheet. If you got more than 10, very likely you're there. If you got, like, some place like Royal Oak, you'll pull up 25, and you'll get a whole smorgasbord. Then start going through and make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Is this a bungalow? Does it have a basement? Is it brick or vinyl? You can find these opportunities there. So the seller won't take your wholesale price. But you, hey, I see a value here. I think I can maybe get this 80 cents on the dollar. List it, sell it, 90 cents on the dollar. Hey, I got a little value there. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, um, if you can't take the cash price, how would you feel if at the end of 30 to 60 days you still had this property? Would you be okay with that? Well, yeah, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Well, how about this? How about we make a deal? I might be able to get it done at $80,000, but it's going to take me 45 to 60 days to do it. Would you be okay getting this property back if I couldn't get it sold, if I couldn't get it done? Yes. All right, sign right here. I'll do it. Take it. Listed on the MLS, you'll have to find some, you'll probably have to double close it or find a closing partner because try explaining assignments to mortgage companies. They're not down. The banks don't care. They're not going to play with it. It's a little bit more complicated. This tends to work best where 10% means the most. So I would say most of the time, 150 plus, 150,000 plus properties, unless you want to do all that work for five grand, that gets pretty tricky. But those opportunities in Royal Oak, any market with 150 or higher, you can find where that 10% might be, even after commissions, 15, 20 grand. There's an opportunity. Pay five grand to the same day funding partner, still got 15 grand in your pocket. Marketing budget's good again, postcards going out again. You capitalize on a deal that most people would say no to because it doesn't meet the 30 or 35% minus rehab rule. There's some inches. Yeah. Speak up. No, no, doesn't have to be. It's easier if it is. And you would, you would use an option or regular contract. Yeah. Just get them to agree up. If you're going to go fishing, get them to buy in. Don't say, I'm going to do this at this. And then you end up at 40 days and nobody wanted it because you were wrong. I, I know I could do it at this price, but I might be able to do it this, but there's a chance I can't get it done. How would you feel about getting the property back in 30 to 60 days? Would you be okay with that? Well, yeah, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if I get my price. Okay, sign right here. So you can do that in 
If it's written into your contract, yes. Now, some, many brokers are going to tell you to pack sand, but uh, I'm looking forward to the day when realtors go down in a blaze of glory. It's going to be a while, but I will have a party the day it happens. The bar is low. Most people don't even know what the law is. Some don't even want to do it because they don't want the liability. Many places will. Got to find them. I will. So if you got one, you're not an ass clown, I'll do it. There are plenty of other people who will do it too. Okay. Will the um, big voice? The, will the double close and affect the ninety-day flipping rule, though? No. Okay. Right now, there, at least as far as I know, there are no deed restrictions. That was something from the past where they didn't want them flipping. May come back up again. At least in this market, I haven't seen a deed restriction in a long time. That's what they're called deed restrictions. So, loud. So when there's like. Uh, that's an excellent question. How do a, I'm going to rephrase it, okay? Yeah. How does an appraiser value a home? How many people think it's based on the number of bedrooms? Good, because you would all be wrong. They break it down to a price per square foot. Sometimes you'll notice that a four-bedroom would have slightly higher price per square foot, but they break it down to price per square foot, and then they start picking the house apart based upon updates and other things sold, which is why the first thing I do is I break all those comparables down into price per square foot, then start looking through pictures. Start looking through pictures. Start looking, oh, this has two baths. The first time is going to be real slow. It'll take you a long time. But real quick, you're going to know, oh, these two bedrooms go for ten grand more. I get $5 extra per square foot for having an additional bathroom. Maybe it makes sense to add a... I wasn't looking at this deal the right way. If I add a second bathroom, I can pull 15 grand more. It's only going to take me five grand to add this beautiful bathroom. That's a good deal. I will do that. But if you break it down by price per square foot, that's how you do it. Also, appraisers are not going to skip one property to go to the next one. Unless you get lucky, but don't count on it. It happens. Humans are neglectful and lazy. But if you're doing it right... If there's a great property right here, but that's at $87 per square foot and a similar one, but it's at 97, you can't really tell the difference. They're going to take that first one and they're going to take that second one. They're not going to skip it. So when you're looking at it and you're pulling it, don't start hopping if you don't have to. There are some exceptions. White Lake would be one of them. Sometimes you end up in a market with a bunch of funny lakes and you got a 3,000-square-foot house and a 500-square-foot house and a triplex and one built in 1920, 1940, 2007. It gets real complicated then. But start as small as you can. And if you see good ones, go with that. Always break it down price per square foot and then do it in the order of distance to the property. That'll really nail it down. Then start picking it one by one. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yes. So once you figure out the price per square foot, multiply it by the square footage of the house. If you did your, did your math right, so that's all in the spreadsheet, you should have a pretty accurate number. Big voice. Okay, does it matter if it's like on a business? You'll notice sometimes it does. Now, in this market, I would say, normally, as a general rule, I'll discount it 10 to 15%. That rule isn't as good as it used to be anymore. 
you definitely would want to discount it somewhat. But another thing to look at is days on market for the price they got. And a lot of times you'll find other sales and just look at the days on market. And then maybe they started too high, so take that into consideration, right? But I have found, I've done quite a few wholesale deals, you can still get them done. And even on the flips, we've gotten them done on busy streets and haven't been hurt too bad. But it will be a little less usually, but not always. Just, just be cautious with it. The rule isn't as hard and fast as it used to be. Now, if you pull it and you see a shit ton of inventory, I better discount that, right? There's 22 active properties. I'm going to throw 23 up, right? And, and it's on the main street. I might approach it differently. So I think it, a, a lot of it has to do with inventory as well. Did that answer your question? All right, good. All right. So any other questions on the wholetailing? Just some math, paying attention. More complicated, you'll involve a lender. You'll probably have to involve a private lender too to close on it because they won't let you do an assignment. But that's a strong value move. Another tool you should have in your pocket if they won't take your all-cash wholesale offer, which, by the way, is always what I offer first. I don't lead with this. Go for the cash. You know what's a lot faster? Cash. If I get my cash price, I call somebody in this room and sell it for my cash price. My path to cash is real short, which means my hourly wage is real up, and I'm moving on to the next one. This is like, ah, oh, I can't get it. Maybe I can make 15 grand here, and 15 grand's better than not. Then move on to the next one. I always start with the best option first, for me, and then move down until I can get the deal done. All right, so fringe areas and area, um, fringe areas and edges with rapid appreciation. This mostly applies to Detroit, but tangentially, it also applies to areas like Hazel Park, Madison Heights. Right? Let me give you a good example. Royal Oak blows up, and it has been blowing up, and it's crazy, right? The higher the prices got in Royal Oak, then you start to notice prices in Ferndale start rising rapidly. Ferndale prices get so high, Oak Park with Ferndale schools starts going up rapidly. You can watch these comps spread. Now, this is the slow play, but you'll see these opportunities too. A better example is Detroit. Let me give you... Uh, a real concrete one, right, that I just did with um, in Grandmont on the opposite side of Southfield. We were in a position where there weren't very many comparables. But I know how an appraiser thinks. This property was nice. It was within a quarter mile of Rosedale comps. I already know, I've, trust me, I got screwed enough time on appraisals last year. I spent a lot of time talking to appraisers. How do you do this? How do you do that? What if there are no comps? What if it has an extra bathroom? What if the basement is finished? What if there's a garage? What if there's no garage? What if there's granite? What do you do when you can't find something matching? What if you're the first person doing something nice in that neighborhood? How are you going to value that? They start at a quarter mile, and they keep going from there. You can't hop. You can't skip. So what's one of the flipping things you can do if you're interested in flipping or wholesaling to a flipper. Grandmont on the east side of Southfield within a quarter mile of Rosedale got the appraisers to use the Rosedale comps. I already knew how they were going to do it. Got way more than the number we want. Beat them up for an appraisal guarantee. 
Actually, I wasn't satisfied with that. Went back and hit them for five more grand after top of that because I knew how much money they had. Now I set a 97.7 price per square foot. That's $10 more per square foot than the next highest one because I knew how to play the game with the appraisers and I knew how they were going to do their job. You can do the same thing in East English Village. Try and touch something there at a good price. Guess what's right next to East English Village? Morningside. What if you stuck three blocks right up to East English Village? What if you notice that the price per square foot is for 1,500 or more square feet? Hey, now I've got this on XYZ Street, well, Chalmers Street. It's within five blocks of this, and it has 1,800 square feet. How does it look on the outside? Looks good. Let's run it. We now know how the appraisers use these numbers. There's all sorts of these opportunities. How do you know when you spot it? That does take a little time. But fortunately for you, you don't have to worry about it because it's already happened. When you're pulling your comps on real comp, you can determine how far back in time you go. So I always start six months and break it down even smaller, right? But if you want to take a look at the area, you can go back three years. Wait a second. You saw this in Bagley. We went from 38 bucks a square foot to 48 bucks a square foot to 58 bucks a square foot to now 78 bucks. I might even hit 84 bucks per square foot. Two years this happened. Most of it in the last year, the crazy stuff. Even if you don't know it, hey, you're bored. You don't, the phone's not ringing. Instead of getting in and watching Game of Thrones or whatever the hell you want to do, get on Real Comp, pull up a neighborhood, start it a year, then go back two years, then go back three years. And if you see the price per square foot consistently going up, maybe you can exploit the fringes of that. There's a lot of that happening in Detroit. I'm sure you can pick other markets where the same thing is happening. It's just very dynamic in Detroit, and the example is very harsh. This can also play out slowly over time. For anybody picking up cash flow properties, maybe you're a landlord, or maybe you're selling to a landlord, and one of the ways you sell to them is, hey, man, I know it's only 12%, but I've been watching these. In the last two and a half years, prices have gone up 15%, and now it's starting to get to you. I think not only will you get a great return on investment, I think there's some appreciation opportunity for you. And you could probably even refi in a year or two pull out all your money because you have more equity than when you started. So you might want to consider it or flip it to the flipper. Hey, I know I discounted a little bit, but this is how appraisers use comps. I feel pretty solid about this. Have you looked at it this way? We've done lots of deals like that. Lots of inches. It's everywhere. Good examples, Bagley and Morningside, Grandmont. There's more. I can't tell you all of them. It's happening all over the city. Some I'm starting, some I'm exploiting. I try and let somebody else be the pioneer, take the arrow in the back, wait for one or two halfway decent comps, and try and build off that. But some people are doing it right now, and it's happening right now, right? Um, I told you about list your wholesale deal on the MLS, even if it's a straight wholesale deal. Eric and I did this several times last year, got more money for it. The MLS is the single greatest real estate selling tool in the world, period. Now, for the MLS to work best, you need pro photos and you need a lockbox. 
Pro Photos will get far more people out to your property faster. I pay for Pro Photos on the property when it's going on the MLS. Actually, the Dealey Group does, but it comes out of my commission, so I kind of do. Um, and then a lockbox. Agents are lazy. They are not going to book an appointment. You ever see that agent when they go in on a showing time and they go, I'm going to do the showing for two hours. How could you possibly show a house for two hours? No, they don't know when they're going to get there. Within this window of two hours. So know how the game is played, right? I can't change these lazy bastards, but I know how they think, or rather, don't think. Pro photos, the buyer sees it, they send an email to the agent, the agent goes on to book it, and it's easy to book, it's booked, now it's being shown. If you got to do appointments, or you got to do, I'll meet you there, drops off. So I would say those two conditions, right? For the, um, to put a wholesale deal on the MLS, then you have to have a, a listing agreement with the, but you have to kind of sign it up as like a, a retail. Yeah, you sign a listing agreement. And in my purchase and sale agreement, it says I can list and sell your property on the MLS. Okay. And they asked me about it. It's like, it says right here you can list and sell on the MLS. Yes, it does. Um, they don't like it, I'll cut it out. But I press hard for it because right. a lot of times, I can get more money on the MLS than I can selling to my regular investors. And if I'm only doing 12 deals now instead of 35 or 33, I got to increase my profit some way. My investors aren't going to start paying my marketing budget because it's hard out there. You know, they don't give a shit. And they're not going to pay more because I need to make more. Yes. You use pro photos. Do you stage a house you put on the MLS? Not a wholesale deal, no. Oh, retail. Sometimes. The higher the price point, the more likely I am to stage it. We are in a seller's market, and most places inventory is low. And it's difficult sometimes to convince sellers to do it. If it was my flip, I probably would. Um, when I was doing a little pioneering in Bagley a year and a half ago, and I was really pushing prices, I did convince a few of my sellers to stage it. You do get the money back. The hard part is getting them to pony up to $1,500 or so. Sometimes you can do a little cheaper, but it ends up costing most of the time. By the time they drop it off and pick it up and how many pieces you want, it's about $1,500. I can absolutely prove an ROI on that, but with the market, it's not necessary, and it can be difficult to get them to do that. Does that answer your question? Yeah. All right. One, one yes, sir. What, what do you offer to the uh, buyer for commission? 3%. Okay. I'm a bait-the-hook kind of guy. I, in Detroit, I set a minimum now because I did tests. It's $3,000 no matter what. If it's $50,000 or less, it's $3,000 in commission. I tested it. Do you know you can search by commission offered? You know how hard it is to sell somebody else in Detroit, drive around, look at... Okay, so if you're going to sell them a $60,000 house, you're going to be looking at maybe putting $1,600, $1,700 in your pocket. Right, so now we're looking fifty thousand dollar house, and I see three percent or two thousand offering a transaction coordinator seven fifty. What do you think the likelihood of your house being shown is? Knowing you can search commission. I see a wife. Thank you. So bait the hook. I always, hey Detroit, you're getting fifteen hundred dollars no matter what, and if it's more, you'll get the three percent. But no matter what, you're getting fifteen hundred dollars. House is getting shown. House is getting shown. House is getting shown. People aren't looking at the house. You're not getting offers. 
So when you go up and you're not getting any showings, you screwed something up. <laughs> Commission in Detroit is a huge, huge deal. So I bait the hook. I never discount. I offer them 3%. My goal is to get as many buyers through that property as possible so I can get as many offers as possible so I can filter through these offers, find the best two or three, and start pitting them against each other. More, more people I get through, more offers I get, more likely I am to do that. So don't be too cheap about the, well, I want to save that 1%. I've got $17,500 in appraisal guarantees in Detroit by pitting two very qualified buyers against each other, setting new records for price per square foot doing it this way. And I offer 1% less to the buyer's agent. They're not showing the property. I don't get that opportunity. My seller doesn't get their money. I get less in commission. Don't trip over the, you know, pennies or the dollar to pick up the pennies, right? Don't be cheap about that. Incentives work. Think about why you work hard too, right? If I'm going to work, if I'm going to make 40 grand on a deal, I work way harder, right? Man, that's a, 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 incentives work. There's just no way around it, so... Um, if you are going to do the listing, your wholesale deal or doing a wholesale deal, you do have to have it written into your purchase and sale agreement that you have the right to list and sell on the MLS. If you don't have that, you can't do it and it is illegal. So if you don't have that, talk to your lawyer, make sure you add that part in if you're interested in or you want the option. If the seller has a problem with it and they're hard on it, be like, well, that's fine. I can get rid of it. I can count on one hand the number of times they made me get rid of it. You'd be surprised what people accept. Same thing with a lockbox. Oh, you're going to put a lockbox on us? Yes. Oh, okay. Eric just had one where he didn't want to do it, and he said he would meet him there. So Eric started making some demands on meeting him there. 24 hours later, he's got a lockbox on the house. So talk to Eric if you're looking for a Dearborn Heights rental or flip, right? So... I'm like, fine, I don't need, I just need to be able to get access whenever I need to get the access. Can you do that? Yeah. All of a sudden they can't make it. Why don't we just put a lockbox on it? I told you this is what's going to happen. Make sure it's written in. This is an extra savage move, I would say, for the more experienced people. And I would say this pretty much just applies to Detroit, but I think if you're careful, it can apply outside of Detroit, right? In these fringe areas, you would have noticed in the last two, three years, that most of Detroit sales started, most of Detroit sales started at like 2,500 more square feet, and then it was 2,000 square feet, and then it was 1,800 square feet, and as inventory shrinks, now 1,500 square feet prices are going up. Right? There are a lot of duplexes in these areas. Some of these duplexes look like a single-family home from the outside, and the floor plan on the inside makes sense. And they have 1,800 or more square feet. But they're listed as multifamily. I'll give you an example on Bagley. Multifamily listed, sell for like 48 to 54 per square foot. You're looking at 82 to 84 per square foot as a single family. I don't know why it took me so long to figure this out, but I finally snapped. I'm like, wait a second. This is pretty much a single family home. In Detroit, most... Do your due diligence, whatever. Don't be a baby. Most multifamily are actually already zoned to single family as well. You get out in the suburbs, some of the zoning gets a little different. You might need to go talk to the city to see how they'd want you to convert it over, and it might be cost prohibitive. 
But that's also another option. The fine's like, hey, this we're doing it right now with Todd. I got it going with a couple other investors. This is a viable move. It's a value play, right? They're undervaluing it because they think they could only sell to investors, but they're not seeing what the retail market is paying for homeowners. Todd turned it into a walk-in closet and put an extra bathroom up there. I mean, just turn that old kitchen. It's now they get. She's got a huge walk-in closet. It is huge. Huge walk-in closet. It's now a selling feature of the house, right? All right. Did I cover? Double check on zoning with the city. All right. That's all I had prepared. Does anybody have any specific questions? Do you want them to have the mic or? Yeah. Talk loud. Oh, how was you You'd have to go through the city with that. Oh, because I got yeah. a property on contract that's zoned as three units, but there's only two floors. Well, that's not necessarily how it's zoned. So oh. when, you, when you pull up on Real List or on Public Records, Real mm-hmm. List is a little better. Or you can call the city, provided it's not Detroit, they won't answer their phone. <laughs> Ask them, what is this zoned as? Okay. Could it be a single family? What would I have to do to make it a single family? What's unique about most of Detroit zoning is most of their duplexes are already zoned single family. Mm. It's a multi-use, R1, R2, R3, which means they can be either or. That's pretty unique to Detroit, and that's not every duplex either, which is why you got to look. But I know there are people who have turned duplexes in Oak Park into single family homes. It was more costly, took longer, they had to go through some paperwork but the value was still there. So this is not going to work most of the time. Like I figure probably a third of the duplexes in Detroit qualify. And then when you go and look at them, even less actually makes sense to do, at least at our current price per square foot. If it ends up going above 100 or 110, that situation might change. But in most places, we're like in the 80 to 90 range, so not quite enough. Can't quite get it cheap enough. But at least if you see it and come across it, maybe you can make a call get online. Some cities even have their zoning requirements online. But definitely, if it's confusing, call the city or start going to zoning board meetings. One of my friends, Tommy Desmond, he gets a lot of business. He, he's actually on the zoning board. He's talking about variances and stuff like that. So now he knows the zoning for Troy like that. So he knows what he can do and where he can do it. Did that answer your question? Yeah. All right, good. Yes, sir. Okay, so I'm trying to get this house under assignment, and they owe like five thousand in back taxes. So, what's the best way to structure that into the deal? As far as I'm concerned, seller pays taxes. Okay, so what if it's already like payment arrangements? Seller pays taxes. Yeah, I work the numbers backwards, right? Like here, I'm willing to give you like what you you didn't pay your bill. What does it have to do with the property? Do I have to pay your cable bill too? Guess what else I'm not paying? I'm also not paying your water. Right? My price is what my price is. This is what I think your net will be. Sometimes you can pivot to a quick claim deed. I hate selling quick claim deeds because then I'm dealing with quick claim deed buyers. And that's, I'm selling to Todd. You know, I'm just going to send him an email and let him take the deal. <laughs> and he'll thank me for it later and he'll send deals my way. Yeah, he doesn't mind. I don't like messing with it, but um, warranty deed means taxes, water paid. Sometimes, if they can't get past it, drop the price, tell them you pay the taxes. Same math, right? 
Well, I owe five in taxes. I want you to pay it. Well, fine, I'll pay it, but that's twenty thousand then. Right. Same number. Any other questions? No more questions. All right. If you uh, check out renegadedetroit.com, 313-600-2133. Thank you.